Exchange on Deep Dive. Now, tonight's edition of The Exchange takes us into devolution territory as we talk a little more about it, understand what it is and why it is so important uh, in the governance agenda. What does all this mean and why should you and I be concerned? Of course, all things sprout from the Constitution in any democracy and so does devolution. So today, we really get to grips with what it is and why it's so important for you and I. Or as an as a citizen, as a Hararian, you may be wondering, shouldn't you better puppy? Well, uh, keep it locked on and tuned in. After this conversation, all will be clear. I am joined in this conversation by Mr. Shingim Shambi, Chief Director uh, in the Spatial Planning and Development Department under the Ministry of Local Government and Public Works. Mr. Mshambi, good evening and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Rumbi. My name is Shingim as you have correctly introduced me, I'm the Chief Director in the Ministry of Local Government and Public Works. What a good evening to be on radio tonight to discuss devolution. The mighty heavens have opened up and we have plenty of friends, which incidentally is the reason why I'm not in the studio because the roads are jammed. But I believe this is a very good introduction to the session on devolution. And thank God we have uh, quite some good rains tonight. Absolutely. I like how you've taken a positive spin on it all. <laughs> the, the, the rains can only be good. But of course, uh, it, it's cost us having uh, a more intimate discussion with you. But nonetheless, we will endeavor and we hope uh, that next time you can come into the studio. Now, let's get straight into the conversation. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been hearing uh, about devolution. They've been hearing the words. They've been hearing maybe, uh, you know, uh, programs being run by various government departments but they may not really understand what it is so let's start right from the top what is devolution language devolution is a concept which is quite uh, enunciated in our constitution uh, in practical terms today we don't go into theory in practical terms it means the transfer of power of roles and responsibilities competencies together with the resources that are required being transferred from national government to devolved entities. These devolved entities mathematically uh, are essentially our 10 provinces, our 60 rural district councils, and our 32 urban local authorities. So in a nutshell, evolution in our country in practical terms means the movement, the transfer of power from one national government, which is located in the capital city in Harare, to 102 entities, which comprise of the two metropolitan provinces, the eight rural uh, provinces, the 60 district councils, and the 32 urban local authorities to bring devolution into a mathematical equation of from 1 to 2 plus 8 plus 60 plus 32. That is the full uh, formation of our devolution ethos. So it's a transfer of power, of roles and responsibilities, together with the competencies 
And by competencies, we mean the ability to perform a task. So transfer of those competencies together with the resources that are required to perform those competencies from the national government to the devolved entities, which are clearly enunciated in our constitutional provision uh, in terms of Section uh, 264. Uh, and taking it a little bit deeper there, what are some of the objectives of devolution in terms of Section 264 of our Constitution? Well, the, the objectives of devolution are again spelled out in a subsection 2 of Section 264. There are about six of them. And in Paris, the first is essentially to give power of local governance to the people and to enhance their participation in the development of their areas, which cumulatively leads to the development of the nation state as it were. The second is to promote democratic participation, which assumes that through these structures, we are able to get everybody to participate in some form of development of the nation at whatever level it is. It may be at provincial, at uh, rural district council, at an urban local authority, as it were. And also, more importantly, through devolution, the idea is to foster peace and unity, ensuring the oneness of the nation and not to result with uh, divisions but essentially to celebrate diversity amongst ourselves, that brings us together as a nation-state called Zimbabwe. The fourth is to recognize the right of communities to manage their own affairs in their areas based on their traditions, on their religion, on the resources that are abandoned in those respective areas, and to manage and harness those resources for the development of their areas, which obviously impacts on the livelihoods of people. The fifth is essentially to work within this mechanism of a nation-state, a fair and equitable arrangement that results in resources being moved to areas of high concentration, to some areas that are underprivileged for so many reasons. They could be, have been to do with war, to do with the planting of landmines, to do with historically those areas were neglected. Maybe during the time of colonial um, administration, these areas were neglected because there were no attractive resources at that point in time. And so we try and equalize in terms of governance of the nation. And obviously the last is now to ensure that all these objectives are achieved by ensuring equitable and manageable ways and means of transferring fiscal and financial resources to these devolved entities in a manner that then ensures efficiency, effectiveness, and cohesion of the nation. So the, the, the ethos of devolution is essentially to see improved services delivery by governmental entities for the benefit of people, ensuring the people are participating in their local governance, begin to gain 
a history to gain the practice of managing their local affairs in a manner that responds to their issues and challenges at the local level. So essentially it's involving everybody in the management of the country's affairs, of the country's resources, and ensuring that nobody and no place is left behind. That, in essence, are the constitutional objectives of why we have embarked on the process of devolution. And let us be very clear to our listeners. Devolution is used in practice by our government alongside the concept of decentralization. And we need to explain to them what it means to devolve. It's to devolution to the 102 entities. Whereas decentralization is used to refer to the transfer of the operations within line ministries from the center to ensure that at the lowest level, those line ministries are rendering services at the level closest to the people. So decentralization is used within governmental entities, the ministries, the agencies, and the departments of government. To what extent are they organized to render services to the people? at the lowest level possible. For example, the provision of birth, the provision of passports within the ministries, that is referring to decentralization. Devolution is about the exercise of power in the 102 devolved entities. That's why our national policy speaks to the twin terms of devolution and decentralization acknowledging that with the devolution, we are devolving to devolved entities. Decentralization, we are looking within governmental ministries, departments, and agencies, extent to which they are available to provide services to the citizens of this country at the lowest level possible. Even the citizens of the country who are outside the country. For example, now passports will be issued in South Africa because the Ministry of Home Affairs is decentralizing to the level where an embassy in South Africa is able to provide passports to our citizens who are residing in that country. So we always use these two terms as twin terms to refer to government making sure that our people are saved and saved best in a manner that is efficient, is effective, that is inclusive, that recognizes the variations in resource endowments, and that speaks to the needs of our communities, which are different in the various locations of the country and those of our people outside the country. Now, thank you so much for highlighting those key differences as well as how those terms in practice really come to life. Now, the emphasis on the power that's being devolved, let's talk about that a little bit. What is the emphasis on when it comes to devolution? Is it on political power or more around economic development? Uh, Just uh, shed some light on that for us. The, the, the process of devolution uh, is one that, in earnest, began fairly recently in the history of our, our, our country. Yes, 
In the past, we had some forms of devolution being attempted, but the real attempt at it would probably be in the you know post 2018 period. And what we have seen is the transfer, the attempt to make sure that our provincial level of uh, uh, um, uh, government, which are our provincial councils, are properly constituted are running as devolved entities and that they are beginning to perform and function. Fortunately, we had a devolved layer of um, uh, uh, institutions in the country in the form of the 60 RDCs as well as the 32 urban councils. And again, these have, uh, to a great extent, quite a combination of legislative service performance as well as executive powers, including powers to prepare budgets in accordance with the budgets that they have prepared to actually mobilize resources from citizens and to account to citizens over the implementation of their budgets and so on and so forth, including legislative powers to be able to make bylaws, which are national laws, by the way, except that these are national laws that apply only in the area of the jurisdiction of that local authority uh, in terms of its boundaries. So there is a fair balance between or among legislative, among fiscal, you know, power to mobilize resources, to prepare budgets, and power to actually execute. I know the focus at sometimes we over-focus on the political power as it refers to the governance of the nation. But even at that level, the Constitution provides for devolution to these entities. Over the period of time, as we look into the future, the government has placed significant emphasis that provincial and metropolitan councils, in the meantime, as we build greater capacity of devolved entities, the focus in the present time will be on economic devolution. And the whole machinery that has been put in place is so that we focus and exercise economic devolution as a basis for all other forms of devolution, including the political, the legislative, and so on and so forth. That will accompany the entire uh, you know, gamut of what we call devolved powers and functions. So the, the emphasis on economic devolution does not necessarily underplay the significance of all the uh, other forms of devolution. But essentially to say this is a sound basis on which other forms of devolution will then be layered upon because we have our provinces which are economically competing and performing and that economic robustness becomes, you know, the infrastructure around which we devolve. Devolution does not happen at once. We envisage a form of devolution that is incremental, beginning with the powers granted unto the devolved entities in terms of the Constitution, as well as in terms of the Vision 2030, wherein we have had our transitional stabilization plan, we have now moved into NDS-1 and will achieve uh, our vision 2030 with a final leg we are running uh, through NDS-2, which is yet to come, 
uh, between the period 2025 and uh, 2030 as it were. So that is the, the manner in which government has packaged our path uh, to devolution, to total devolution, emphasis in the meantime on economic devolution while we build the capacity for political devolution and so on and so forth. Uh, Mr. Mshambi, I like that, you know, in the beginning of the program, you talked about, you know, all these things being very practical. So in practical terms, how will devolution work out? Uh, how will they, how, you know, what safeguard is there? Perhaps let me put it that way. What are the safeguards to ensure that the quality of decision making remains utmost uh, and that the people within that local authority or to whom powers have been devolved are still making, uh, you know, good decisions, as it were, or are making decisions that make sense? How do we maintain that yardstick? That's a great question, uh, uh, Rumbi, and, and, and essentially it's a question that speaks to to what level do you devolve uh, abruptly or progressively? The ethos of our devolution is not one way central government immediately then abdicates on its roles and responsibilities. National government still has to maintain some level of oversight to ensure that the devolved entities are indeed performing in accordance with the expectations and the laid out objectives of devolution as per constitution. And for that reason, our government has actually organized itself to ensure successful devolution by ensuring there is the office of the president and cabinet with structures at provincial level through ministers of state for provincial affairs and devolution, as well as secretaries of state for provincial affairs and devolution, and making sure that, that those institutional arrangements are in place for government to still maintain oversight ensuring quality, ensuring standards, ensuring service performance, ensuring that our citizens are going to be better off out of the process of devolution and not worse off. So the the institutional mechanism has actually been put in place. Standards, as we speak, in terms of service delivery, are being performed and monitored very closely through the performance um, uh, management system which has been rolled out across all entities, as it were. Government also continues with its responsibility of building sufficient competencies through various programs where these entities are trained on their roles and responsibilities and on how they can become accountable to their citizens. So all this, in my view, is in an effort to ensure that there is indeed performance and that devolution and decentralization do not result in, by and large, unintended consequences and effects. In fact, that we benefit from this noble process and not come out worse off. If you're just joining us, we are talking all about devolution, how it all works, uh, what the Constitution envisioned, and of course, how it will work in practical terms. Section 226, uh, 264, I beg your pardon, of our Constitution provides for devolution. And Anzi Kudzikiskwa Kumasimba, Kuvaku Central Government to Subnational Authorities, Nekuma Local Government to you. And Mnogo Notetam Temo, Unogu Itiraisha, Kanaka Kwa Zaka, Vamovachita Wawukaka 
Siana. So I think that's really important because it brings people, you, you and I, into the governance circle and makes us more involved in making decisions and also makes central government more accountable and it's more transparent. So that is, in essence, what we're talking about this evening. But of course, I am joined by Mr. Shingim Shambi, Chief Director of Special Planning and Development in the Ministry of Local Government and Public Works. Now, coming back to you, Mr. Mshambi, um, what are some of the roles and responsibilities at different tiers of government that are devolved? Well, the, the uh, Rumbi, to be frank and honest with you, the Constitution and, uh, already envisaged the, uh, this question about why really do we have uh, provincial councils and more importantly, why would we have um, 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 local authorities, what are the powers and functions that are given to provincial councils and what are those powers and functions given to local authorities. In terms of the functions of provincial and metropolitan councils, if I can begin with those, those are provided in Section 270 of our Constitution. They include, among others, the following six. The first is to plan and implement social and economic development activities in that particular province. I will will repeat this. We are discussing for the present the roles of provincial and the metropolitan councils. The first being to plan and implement social and economic activities in the provinces. The second is to coordinate and implement those programs which national government will have designed for implementation by provinces. So the provinces will come up with their own activities for the social economic development of the province. That is provided in the subsection 1A of section 270. The second is in B, for those that are arranged by national government, then the provinces have a role and responsibility to coordinate the implementation of government programs that it would have designed. The third is the planning and implementation of measures around conservation, improvement, and management of all all national natural resources abundant or available in that province. So the focus is then what are the natural endowments of our province? How do we tap into them? How do we harness them so that we can utilize them to benefit you know, the people emanating or resident in that province. The fourth uh, function given to these provincial and metropolitan councils is to promote tourism. One of the key drivers of economic development in the country is the issue of tourism. And we have quite some very attractive domestically and internationally destinations that are resident in the provinces. And the provinces are given that power to promote tourism uh, and the development of facilities that actually result in improved performance of the tourism economic sac- uh, sector in the province. The fifth is then for the provinces to monitor and evaluate the use of resources. And I want to emphasize this, to monitor and evaluate the use of resources. If there is granite in Mtoko, 
they have a responsibility to oversee and see the extent to which the utilization, the exploitation of that resources is being done in an environmentally sound manner and the extent to which there are community social responsibility projects that benefit the people. If it is in Wange, for example, the exploitation of coal, the production of cooking coal, and, and, and so on and so forth, and the extent to which it's being done in an environmentally sustainable manner, and that communities are benefiting from those resources and surfacing such monitoring and evaluation reports to the center. And of course, the final is these provinces are given powers, including legislative functions, the power to make laws that actually apply in that province are given again in terms of Section 270 to these entities that are provinces. So, in, in, in a nutshell, there is a developmental focus, you know, responsibility given to the provinces at that regional level to prepare plans to then, you know, uh, uh, mobilize resources for the implementation to actually collect revenue and complement government efforts in administering and managing the province at the same time triggering development of certain opportunities key among them the exploitation of uh, natural resources as well as the promotion of tourism among other uh, uh, functions that uh, uh, provinces are expected to play if you like if there is a good understanding of this section i will then move to the roles and the responsibilities in a subsequent uh, uh, conversation about what are the powers of local authorities the reason why i'm not offloading that part immediately is because I know people are too familiar with the roles of local authorities, both rural district councils and urban councils, which are clearly spelled out in the schedules which are in the Urban Councils Act and the Rural District Councils Act. Suffice to say that, Rumbi, our local authorities are given powers over 62 developmental items in the case of... um, our rural district councils, and 64 powers in the case of urban councils. Powers over which they can raise resources, powers over which they can legislate, and powers over which they can actually carry out developmental functions. So that's uh, those three uh, elements. Power to raise resources, power to legislate, and power to execute are given in accordance with the Rural District Councils Act, the 60 rural district councils that form this nation. And to the 32 urban local authorities, which are recognized in terms of the Urban Councils Act as the urban centers at present, to which these functions are bestowed to them to perform, to exercise, you know, with guidance by national government but otherwise with an ability that is unhindered for them to perform as it were. No, I, I think you're right in that assumption that you made about uh, the knowledge of local authorities, but perhaps that would be better off in another conversation that dovetails from this one. Uh, but I want to bring your attention to uh, perhaps an overall assessment so far of the implementation of devolution within the Harare Metropolitan Province and going on a little further perhaps to 
to ring fence why the Hararian listening to this program should be concerned and should know what's happening around devolution within the province? Um, I, I, I think we can isolate the case of Harare and want to digest it in terms of the challenges that are faced in particular uh, with the city of Harare, in particular with uh, maybe municipality of Chitungiza and, uh, and the immediate environments that constitute uh, Harare metropolitan province. Suffice to say that the mechanisms are there for better performance by these entities that we have poor service delivery at present, particularly in the social services sector, does not necessarily mean that devolution is not working. Devolution is not a bed of roses. It is a program that requires initial investment before things begin to work out in the manner designed as expected, where there's improved performance at all levels national government, provincial government, and local authority level. So I just wanted to clarify that, Rumbi, that as we delve into discussing how Harare Metropolitan as a province is now faring in terms of its performance against the expectations of uh, the people of Harare Metropolitan province, those are two aspects. But the mechanism, the architecture for uh, devolution uh, in Harare Metropolitan Province is in place. Suffice to say that there is an element that is at present yet to be activated that is of the provincial councils actually being sworn in and beginning to function because that dimension has not yet been performed. So we have an executive function assigned to the present structure the officers have been identified and are now in office, but for the elected component, it is yet to be activated, and in the shortest time possible, government will be ensuring that that missing piece is actually activated and beginning to perform. And in closing, what are some of your key recommendations on improved flow of implementation of devolution uh, beyond the Harare Metropolitan Province and also in some of those rural district councils that you spoke of? It's, it's, um, it's, it's a, a, a question that I would actually expect from uh, our listeners on how government could better deliver, could better perform, could better roll out on devolution. Suffice to say that government has a clearly laid out program to promote, to facilitate devolution. Arrangements have been put in place for fiscal decentralization and devolution. As you are aware, the intergovernmental fiscal transfers, the, uh, the method and the methodology has been tried the formula is being worked out, and as we speak, devolution funds are flowing from national government to devolved entities. And we have actually witnessed and received very good feedback from communities on how best to even accelerate the uh, um, uh, disbursement of devolution funds. As more resources are available, the idea is to move beyond the 5% that is prescribed in the constitution as funds available for devolution uh, which are guaranteed in the national budget 
which will be flowing from the centre to the provinces and the, the, the respective local authorities. But as, as I have emphasised, I would like to appeal to the nation to continue dialoguing on devolution together with effective decentralization, which government is working on internally to make sure that line ministries are performing and performing at the most appropriate level, at the level which services are rendered to our people, uh, whatever level will have been determined. And that service standards are benchmarked and that we begin to see continued improvement of those uh, benchmarked services, uh, as it were. There is also a, a, a very significant component of community-led development within the devolution and decentralization efforts, where communities are effectively playing their role, their role to lobby and advocate on those matters they want to bring to the attention of, of their respective levels of government to ensure that we are successful in our uh, devolution and decentralization uh, efforts. Our listeners are tuned in and are coming in with a few messages. Now, I do notice that uh, we're fast running out of time, but we'll, we'll try and squeeze in this last question. Um, a big issue around devolution, uh, Mr. Mshambi, is the devolving of funds as well or fiscal transfers now this listener comes in and says um i guess it's not it's not just a matter of sipping tea around the tables because we've heard that there is some tension between local authorities and ministry of local government especially on issues to do with financial disbursements uh or these fiscal transfers is there any truth to this and how are some of these issues being managed if they are indeed uh something that has been cropping up in, in, indeed, uh, the uh, national government is very particular about the utilization of devolution funds. Wherever national government has funds available for uh, 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 for um, devolved entities, it has always clarified the purpose to which those devolved funds may be applied. And the focus has been on social services delivery with a significant bias on water and sanitation services. And therefore, government has said, utilize devolution funds for any projects that are in the sector of water and sanitation, roads rehabilitation, community development, and so on and so forth. And ordinarily, you would think that this is a message that devolved entities would take up. But because of the practical exigencies uh, between some of the devolved entities in terms of their finances, you would find that they would advocate and uh, uh, lobby for just give us the funds. We will put them to best use ourselves. We don't have to be guided by yourself. And government has remained fairly strong in saying, let us ensure devolution funds are for services delivery, for example, and not for remuneration, for emoluments of counsellors, or for staff studies, and so on and so forth. Remember, Rumbi, we are coming as a national government from a situation where previously the fiscal transfers to local authorities constituted a minor proportion of the budget of local authorities. 
and we are working day and night as national government to ensure that that remains the case, or rather we return to where raised revenues, revenues from water, from waste management processes and so on and so forth, are the mainstay of our local authorities with devolution funds coming to complement and not necessarily where all the resources that are collected by our local authorities are used for uh, you know, salaries and allowances and so forth. And only devolution funds are used for social service delivery. So that's in, that, in trying to maintain that balance, that, that's where sometimes you may find uh, the national government trying to harmonize with you know um, uh, the expectations of local authorities, but I can assure you these are teething problems which government is on top, of, and our local authorities are actually quite pretty much in support. In some instances, it might appear to members of the public like uh, there is um, you know uh, discord in terms of implementation of uh, devolution, but these are matters that national government is able to work with local authorities and provincial structures to harmonize and ensure effective and efficient service performance to the satisfaction of all and our citizens are the beneficiaries ultimately. Thank you so much for your time and for a lot of insight in this conversation. We definitely do need to speak to you again uh, to dovetail and get to some of the other aspects around devolution. But thank you so much for such an eye-opening conversation to start off the devolution agenda conversation. Now, we fast run out of time, Mr. Mshambi, uh, and I will have to let you go. But thank you so much for your time, uh, as well as shedding light to our citizens uh, around devolution and why it is so important. Looking forward to taking this conversation further with you uh, very soon. Good night. Good night. The Exchange on Deep Dive.